Welcome back to the Grassroots Government Podcast. It feels like forever since we've done this, it's Carl. It's been about six, seven months, six months since it, we've done it in the flesh. Yeah, together. we're actually in a room together. Andy Brown, National Affairs Coordinator for the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation, is with us. Uh, Joe Mapes is going to be joining us a little bit later today. Is the second day of the special session. It's like he's so, got something going on. Uh, yeah. It's weird. Big pointy building to be at. I don't know what's going on there, but he's going to tell us what's going on and how that's going to impact our farmers and ranchers here across the state. But Andy, you know, it's been a big time for you through this whole pandemic, uh, working hard on the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program 1. Now we're moving to part de, if you will. Yeah, September's kind of been the the target for all of this coming to a head, and it's it's kind of strange. It feels a little lackluster now that we're here, uh, with Congress just can't can't agree on much. But uh, so far, they've agreed on a continuing resolution in the House. We anticipate this week the Senate to take that up and and move that forward. Um, but before that, we had even bigger news for agriculture with the second round of the coronavirus food assistance program. So what is different between CFAP 2 and CFAP 1? Um, everything but the name. That's <laughs> the, the short answer. It's been uh, quite the different, it's kind of two stories. CFAP 1, we had multiple podcasts about it, talked and talked. I mean, we, you know, anybody that does what I do, we just worked our tail off trying to get that out the door and then once it got out the door then there was this whole nofa and there was this adding commodities and we don't have enough data and just just all this work cfap 2 comes out the rate structures are totally different the the eligible commodities are different and it's a lot more but it's somehow simpler i, I don't know how that worked out but it, it really is and it's, it's not too hard to navigate one of the things i remember andy was in cfap 1 the nofa you mentioned we got crawfish wrapped in was crawfish in from the beginning of cfap 2 it was how did that change so the the additional commodities if you you take everything from cfap 1 they only added two uh it's really it's tough to think of a commodity that did not get in Uh, we still had some questions that pertain to louisiana as far as aquaculture goes from oysters and wild caught crawfish and those questions are still floating around out there but you, you take that out, and there's a few others around the country I've heard of, but as far as Louisiana goes with the commodity committees that we have here uh, at LFBF, we're covered. And uh, even even crops like rice and sugarcane that didn't see anything and didn't expect really to see anything in round two, um, but they, they were also included as a flat rate crop, uh, which there's a handful of those. Let's go ahead and go back to that success of crawfish and CFAP1 because – that really was a big deal, especially for Louisiana. Well, the in my line of work, we talk about it. If Joe was here, he'd preach on it. The, the grassroots nature of what I do, of of bringing that member and getting their voice heard, and, and it was very loud. Uh, we were the squeaky wheel for sure uh, when it came to CFAP 1. But uh, what you don't want to have happen is you do all that work, you make all that noise, and then it doesn't pan out like you said it would this is not that time this has been a huge success Uh, if you look at uh, the over 100 million dollars that louisiana has uh, that's been paid out from cfap 1 62 of that uh 62 million dollars of that has gone to our crawfish producers in the state which weren't even in the equation at the beginning of 
Yeah, that all happened in about a month. Uh, All those other commodities had um, three or four months to sign up. Uh, We got crawfish announced uh, the second week of August, and they had until originally until September 11th. We did get that deadline extended because of Hurricane Laura, but um, we we didn't even really announce that extension until the deadline was passed. So people pushed. We haven't heard of many more applications coming through. We think that. Um, this is about where we'll end up. I'm sure there's some still in the QB in process, but when you talk about a big win and, and data to prove it, um, there's there's some serious help that's gone out to crawfish producers. And there was a need. This isn't just a, a pat on the back because we did something. This was fulfilling the need of our membership and what they asked us to do. Yeah, because they saw significant losses in demand, losses in prices, and losses in what they were actually able to sell, the volume. And I mean, I looked at the LSU Ag Center summary before coming in here from 2018. That's the last data we have for crawfish. And they had a record year that year with $209 million from farm-raised crawfish. So $62 million, that's a significant amount. Well, you and I were discussing it before we started recording. Is that a third? I mean, is that a fourth? Is that a third? Where are we there? Yeah, a little over 3%, uh, or excuse me, a little over a third. Um, but the... The acreage was going to go up. I mean, the the revenue from crawfish in 2020 was going to be up. the The year was going really well. Uh, you know, crawfish were growing. We had a mild winter. Things were gonna were gonna be a, a bumper crop for those folks. So to have that market completely snatched out from under them, that was was tough. But it's it's pretty awesome to just hear from people that. Uh, I've I've been able to sign up a few new members off of this that just saw us on the news or heard our story out there and didn't know a thing about Farm Bureau and what we did. But um, talking through every week with some people, um, you know that that's what it's all about: leading them to what they need, and then they can in turn help us and and join up and and be involved. Yeah, and we talked in depth about that on the last episode of the podcast. So. Uh, this is a great, op- is a great, uh, I guess, uh, story to be able to to share with a neighbor, a neighboring farm farmer that maybe he's like, "What's the farm bureau about?" This is it. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it's it. That's we spoke about it. You know, before we started recording today, it's kind of funny how CFAP two is just shy of the amount of funding of CFAP one in total, but the. The timing and just the ease of, of application and, and people are just a little more familiar with it now uh, overall that I'm not getting near the buzz and the excitement and, and all that and it's really a lot more to break down as far as a, a program goes because there's so much involved with it but uh, thankfully the application takes care of most of that it's a lot simpler to apply for and uh, pretty all-encompassing so it's been easier on a guy like me and, and, and I'm not I'm not hating on it so how has the response been with the farmers and ranchers you've been speaking with uh, as far as making those applications for uh, CFAP 2 and what they're seeing from it? Have we seen any payments yet come out of CFAP 2? Uh, I'm not, we haven't seen any data of payments. Uh, I've, I've heard of some people that have applied, but I haven't followed up to know if, if they've received their funding yet. We did have the challenge uh, of getting all this done amidst Hurricane Laura and offices shut down and um, but they they got back up in a few days and were servicing their customers so all the credit to them uh, for for sticking with it but it is a busy time at FSA right now so uh, whether those payments have gone out or not I'm not sure but uh, I'll say this um, 
the the first thing I heard out of farmers' mouths when this program came out is thank you as always. But then it was, we're ready to see these markets rebound. You know, we don't want to we don't want to live off of government assistance. We want to be able to sell and and get back in the market and get things going. And I think that's starting to happen. You've seen that in commodity prices uh, as of late. Uh, but for something like crawfish or um, even cattle to uh, a degree that is a little more seasonal you know you got to grow that animal to a certain time frame a certain um, growth size that th- type of thing but um, things are picking up I'm gonna throw a complete and utter curveball at you but Come that's on. that's that's what I, I love to do uh, so you talked about Hurricane Laura we had that storm come in do 1.6 billion dollars worth of damage to Louisiana agriculture primarily most of that in timber 1.17 million in timber but our pecan growers, they seem to be, in my eyes, at least what I've seen, probably some of the hardest hit because they were hit just as they were about to harvest those pecans and they all got knocked down. But not only that, the trees got knocked down. So what they plan for for next year, what do you think can happen as far as a disaster bill coming out of this, especially since we do have some folks in the Midwest we can team up with following the derecho? Yeah, so that's what we're working on now. That's uh, we've, and that's part of the reason that CFAP two hasn't had the buzz is because, honestly, there's bigger fish to fry now, and we're we're in the middle of that. The problem with disaster assistance, number one, it's always a slower go than something like a market uh, payment, just the way that the funding is available, the appropriations process, and so forth. There are farm bill programs that we fight so hard for that do um, trigger in a disaster situation. So we're working right now. I was on a call yesterday afternoon working with FSA trying to figure out what the ask is going to be because even though these are farm bill programs, the state has to get the data to quantify things and go to D.C. uh, with an ask. Thankfully, though, this is an ask to the agency through USDA. This isn't necessarily a we need a bill uh, appropriations ask. However, there will be a congressional ask as well because the money that's there and the programs that are there in a farm bill situation, USDA standard year after year programs are not going to touch the needs that we have. Commissioner Strain had a number on the call I was on yesterday of just what it'll take dollar wise to get our timberland back to square one, back to workable land to be able to be reforested. it was an average of about $500 an acre. You extrapolate that out, that's a $350 million problem just to get back to square one. That doesn't count what it'll take to put trees back on that land or put it back into production. That's just to get things worked, clear what, salvage what's out there on the ground and get back to, to workable land. So it is a sizable problem that we're as you said, teaming up with other folks. We see you know, Sally come in now, so we're working with Florida and Alabama. Uh, you look at the wildfires out west. I've talked with Colorado, with California. Um, so we're, we're moving. The problem is, Avery, that Congress is not moving, except back home to go and get in election season. And there's just not enough congressional days left before they do that to get much done. Not that they could agree on anything if they were up there, but... Uh, they call it lame duck for a reason, and, and when we have a election coming up, this next amount of days in session up there will be a challenge. 
looking at the races here in Louisiana, what what do you think is going to happen congressional wise? I mean, we do have an open seat in the 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 largest agricultural district in the country, the fifth congressional district of Louisiana. That that race is super important to what we do. Uh, there's no doubt that working with Ralph, Ralph Abraham has been a dream. Uh, we feel like we can work with any of these candidates in that same fashion, but it's just a matter of getting us there. And uh, we, you know, the way the world has been, it's not been a typical campaign season. There haven't been Farm Bureau meeting after meeting for these candidates to show up and and uh, tell their story. Y'all have helped with that some to try to, to help the candidates who've reached out to us looking to, to talk to our audience. So those folks, uh, we, we appreciate them understanding our connection to to that 5th District because it is, is the most important one in the state from a standpoint of where they will likely sit on committees in Congress. So not to downplay other mm-hmm. congressional districts from where you live. I, we're proud of our members across the state. But what I'm saying there is when you have a, a House Ag Committee member like Ralph Abraham, we hope that his seat can, can hold that House Ag Committee um, seat with whoever takes his place and if not then our presence as a small state comparatively will really be hurt if we don't get another house ag seat i was about to ask you that should is that a seat that will likely be held by louisiana by that, by that district because that's i mean that would be that's been one of the biggest things with having dr abraham in that seat because he knows ag he's from ag you know having that connection Will the next person, I mean, is it pretty likely that that seat's held? I would say it would be likely. I mean, you see the top candidates in that race, they're running on a standpoint of I represent rural Louisiana, I represent the interests of of farming and and logging and timber and those things um, in that district. So you would hope so, but uh, congressional seats, you want to talk about the swamp, the things that go into who gets what seats, uh, I don't even know what all happens uh, behind closed doors there. I'm not insinuating any foul play or illegal play. I'm just saying uh, that's true politics. Yeah, that is that is when things, uh, people make promises and deals to get the seats they want to keep their seat, you know, by taking care of back home. And uh, we would certainly support whoever wins that seat being back out on the House Ag Committee. But uh, if not, that puts us uh, behind where we're at now as a Farm Bureau trying to get done what we try to do. Yeah, and we'll introduce you to those candidates who've reached out to us on our sister production uh, This Week in Louisiana Agriculture. We're going to have a couple of the candidates talking to us there. Let's go ahead and move on to uh, another way that farmers and ranchers can get some help, and that is through an unlikely source uh, that we we kind of went back and forth on whether we could get even get it or not, the Main Street Recovery grant program uh, that it's part of the cares act correct that's right um every state got an allocation out of the cares act uh of a billion and a quarter dollars or more louisiana's i believe was closer to 1.6 if i remember right but anyway over a billion dollars that came back to the state of louisiana uh, and that was not totally free for them to decide how to use but they had some discretion on how it was spent our state legislature before not this special session this wasn't decided in the last 24 hours but in the prior session um, they took those funds majority of them went into the state budget however 
around 250, I think it's 275 million dollars were put into this Main Street Recovery Program. That money's housed at the treasurer's office, uh, and he's stewarding those dollars. What our people need to know is that this is a grant program, very few strings attached, fifteen thousand up to fifteen thousand dollars that you can get uh, to help mitigate some of the costs that you incurred due to the coronavirus. Folks immediately think that that means I had to buy PPE, buy masks, put up partitions in my business. That's not necessarily the case. Uh, that's it's fairly wide open on what can qualify. There's some distinct things that don't qualify, but if you have an accountant, a CPA, somebody that handles your paperwork, I would encourage them to handle it. That's seemed to have been the easiest process, but anybody can go online. Their website is pretty pretty darn good at explaining the program better than I can do, and uh, that money's out there, and we don't want to see it go to waste and not be utilized by Louisiana businesses, including farmers and ranchers. I probably should not admit this, but I went on there and, and to apply myself because uh, it said if you've received a 1099, you could possibly receive one of the grants. And so I've, I do a little freelance work here and there, uh, sure. doing a little freelance videography for some folks. And so I was like, well, let me see. The main thing that, that prevented me from being able to do it is I don't spend money on my, my business, right. my personal business. You have to have expenses. So if you don't have expenses, then you won't qualify. And you know it's very rare that you have someone who just does a little side gig work here and there who doesn't have any expenses. So if you're you know in business for yourself, even as a crop consultant, and you have your, your fuel expenses. Yeah, there you go. It's worthwhile to you. Yeah, yeah I would... I would love to know the farmer that doesn't have any expenses because I would like to invest in your farm. So we, <laughs> we'll have plenty of members that qualify. But I will point out, and Joe can probably tell us more about this, but uh, you know, you hear in the news that these funds, are these funds, period, from the get-go were in question and uh, caused some turmoil in the state house uh, to know how they were going to be spent. So with this special session about everything's at play right now with the way our state budget is is panning out because of the coronavirus and just the way our economy's you know gone under all these restrictions so it's in play and it's uh it's important that you get out there and, and get it while it's available or it may not be uh, we want to see it utilized uh for you know for the the taxpayer and to get get a little bit of their money back through a program that that is needed well, it sounds like you were just pitching that segue right there. So uh, we're going to go ahead and take a short break here. It's going to be longer for us than it is for you listening to this podcast because we got to wait for Joe Mapes to get here. When we come back, we'll have Joe Mapes, the Louisiana Farm Bureau Legislative Specialist, joining us to talk to us about the special session that's going on right now. This is Trace Atkins for the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation. If you're a farmer or rancher, Farm Bureau wants you to join and be a part of their family. I grew up in Louisiana farm country, and I know all the hard work and sacrifice that you put into raising livestock, growing a crop, raising a family, and running a farm. Farm Bureau puts that same hard work and sacrifice into making life better for you and your family, so join today. The Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation, the voice of Louisiana agriculture. Well, that 
that was a short break, right? At least for you guys listening. Joining us now is Joe Mapes, the Louisiana Farm Bureau Legislative Specialist. And Joe, we finished our conversation with Andy talking about the Main Street Recovery Program. It sounds like there are a lot of folks who want to get their hands into that pot of money down there at the legislature during this special session. Right. And the governor's one of them. And he'd like to, you know, direct some of that money towards unemployment uh, taxes and towards the unemployment program and towards the uh, local governments. There's another piece of legislation, and the session's only been uh, in action since yesterday. There's another bill that's been filed that re- would redirect $30 million of those dollars somewhere completely different into the oil field uh, restoration fund. And so that's by way of saying we've still got 28 days in this session. A bill can be filed, I think, all the way up until the last 20 minutes if you've got enough time to pass it over there. The point being, I would expect more similar bills like this to be filed uh, looking to get a hold of that money and redirect it uh, other than where it was it was used last time. Yeah, I know in news reports, uh, Treasurer John Schroeder said that 79% of the applications he received would not be able to receive a grant because of this. Apparently, this is a big pot of money that people just want to stick their hands in, possibly. <laughs> That's right. And we saw that in the last special session, the first one of this year. And uh, we'll see more of it here. And I imagine, uh, I'm told this morning by a leading senator over there, we're looking at another fiscal session coming later in this year because uh, this session is going to be, what he said, limited to emergency matters. And so we saw bills filed this morning on tax exemptions for farm equipment. We saw bills filed on broadband, and we had that conversation with this senator. And the bottom line is, no, those aren't emergencies, okay? We don't need to be giving out uh, tax credits in an emergency situation like COVID and like the hurricanes uh, recovery effort that we're involved in. So what is the mood there for this special session? I know it's only been in since six o'clock last night, but you and Sandy have been there today. Uh, what's what's the mood like uh, compared to when y'all were sessioned out? You know, uh, regardless of how many sessions we have, uh, when we come to a new session, it's, it's always refreshing. You see, you know, it's like old home week. You hadn't seen, you know, the people, the legislators, the staffers, other lobbyists. So it's nice right now, okay? But it, it should get pretty nasty pretty quick over there because, number one, there will be fighting over that money. But I think more importantly than that, you're going to have a, a struggle for authority and power when it comes to a lot of these items in the call are going to allow legislation to suspend law for a year. A resolution can suspend a piece of the law for a year. And it looks like this legislature is going after suspending the governor's powers, not only in regard to emergency health situations, but also in regard to parts of the budget. You know, so this is going to take a lot of authority away from this. I wanted to ask, because I have been out of the loop a little bit, what what is the call for this special session say? Like, what what's this all about? Okay, so uh, it's it's supposed to be, it's 70 items in the call. They're very broad, and you got to make them broad to get, you know, the legislators to come to town because they, you know, they've been twice already. They've got families, they've got businesses back home. You know, you've got to compel them to come. So you can't just make it so strict and say, look, you're coming to Baton Rouge just to work on this. Give them an opportunity to broaden uh, their legislation that they can file to maybe help their interests in their in their, uh, you know, constituency back home. So uh, in those 70 items, they're they're so broad, Carl, that uh, we're not quite sure what's going to be what's going to be filed under that. So item I think it is 36. Item four deals with the MFP, okay? Our agri-science teachers are in the MFP. 
right? Does that mean that a bill is going to be filed to tinker with? You know, no, it doesn't mean that. But they're in there. So we've talked to the chairman, Jack. Uh, we've talked to the chairman of the committee, Jack McFarland, and Jack says, "Don't worry. If they open up that section of the MFP, I'll be there to protect it, and we will be too." But that's that's the danger of a session like this. Uh, the, the the item in the call, the items in the call are so broad. Almost any bill could be filed, but if that if the legislature holds true to what that senator told me today, they're going to stick to matters of emergency, the pandemic emergency, and the recovery efforts for the hurricanes. Let's kind of follow up on the pandemic emergency. I remember when the during the regular session, there were lots of limitations on who could be there, what you had to do to get in, and now we're going in under phase three. Um, is it like that? Again, is it still to where you feel, because I remember you telling us last time that you felt like there wasn't that hustle and bustle, the people there, the the people actually in the people's house to be able to see the process. Is it like that again, this special session? It is like that. And it's sad to see because, you know, we're I'm a grassroots lobbyist. I was raised to work with the people and get the constituents in, in touch with their legislators. OK, that's how the process works, you know, for the people, by the people. But to see the people not there uh, is upsetting and concerning. When I usually get to, prior to the pandemic, when I'd get to the Capitol for a committee hearing, uh, I'd have to wind my way through people in the hall, every hall that's around there. If I wanted to get into either chamber, Senate or House, again, I'm elbow to elbow with people. And to, to, to see it so empty is really saddening. Uh, I mean, I don't know if we're going to go towards a a Zoom process? I don't think so. I haven't heard any of that discussed, you know, for access from the public. But uh, they're not coming. They're not being encouraged to come. I don't think they're prohibited per se, but uh, it's not the best of conditions for somebody who doesn't work there on a regular basis like me and Sandy do. You know, you wouldn't know how to get around. You wouldn't know what's permitted. You know, you, it, it would be difficult to operate for a lot of people, I think. With a broad special session, are you worried about anything being introduced that maybe, uh, trying to fly under the radar and get past people who might have a voice in it. Well, no doubt, not just in a broad special session, uh, in any session, but uh, yeah, there's no doubt. That's that's one of our biggest jobs, Avery, is to be on the scene and make sure something like that doesn't happen. What are some of the issues that you think are going to be uh, paramount here, especially in terms of the pandemic? Who has the powers to... Uh, to open and close businesses, lay restrictions on the population. Uh, is that going to be some of the big issues that you see there? Yeah, and I saw one piece of legislation that forms a committee of five, I believe it is, and it would the governor would be on that committee, and instead of him, like he has now unilateral authority to, to make mandates or to make orders in an emergency situation, this would be a five-man committee, and I think it involves the Speaker of the House and the President. I can't remember the other three but it would be a joint decision, and that would be a lot different than it is now. So that could be a compromise, possibly, unless the governor doesn't want to lose any of this authority whatsoever, which is, is possible. And we'll see once the legislation starts rolling. You know, on paper, it's that the governor is on an, in an equal level with the legislature. However, in Louisiana, de facto... We have a governor who actually has a lot of power through appointments. You and I talked a little bit about that yesterday. How do you think that that's going to play out in this session, especially when you're talking about a power struggle like this? Yeah. Well, a good example of that is the petition 
that's been signed. Uh, I don't the, the appointments have never really come into play with this governor. To put it in perspective, uh, most states have zero gubernatorial appointments. Uh, the states that do have them, uh, the few states that do have about 15 on average. We have over 2,000, I think 2,200 appointments uh, in Louisiana. So it's good to be governor. But I haven't seen that issue raise its head in regard to this session or regard to these issues. However, I'm being told that capital outlay is a whole different story. So, you know, the, the governor currently has line item veto in the budget bill and capital outlay. He take all that out. And, uh, you know, that's to, to, to me that a lot of that's what's going on, you know, uh, is, is capital outlay instead of the appointments like you were saying right now. So what are some of the issues in capital outlay that are being discussed? Oh, it's just personal projects for the legislators back home. So, you know, maybe it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a drainage ditch. Maybe it's a new addition to the sewer, you know, or something with the city infrastructure. And it's them bringing the mail back home, you know, and they don't want to have to go back home and say, look, I, I'm, I'm empty handed. I went to Baton Rouge and, you know, and, and they're not going to be able to say, look, I tried to work with the governor. And he wouldn't work with me. They're going to say no. The constituents will say, no, we sent you to Baton Rouge, okay? to work with the governor and everybody else to bring the mail home. So so these are not personal projects, but personal in so much as they're related to their constituency and their area and very important to them and their reelection and their constituents. Speaking of the constituents, how much of a role do you think uh, our grassroots uh, members here in Farm Bureau can play this session and what, what do you really want them to do as this special session goes along? Well, as they always do, they're willing to participate when we ask them to through voter voice or other means. It's it's it, when we get there, Avery. It's important because we, as, as I always say, we do the heavy heavy lifting ourselves down at the Capitol. So if we call on you as a member to help us, then we really need help. Okay, and our members have come to the call uh, every single time. This session, hopefully, we will remain with just the pandemic emergency and the, well, like the senator told me this morning, just emergency issues throughout this whole session. If that happens, I don't see anything negative coming at agriculture or rural Louisiana right now. So hopefully, we got our fingers crossed, you can't see me, but hopefully there's no big issues that we have to activate the membership because this is going to be a nasty session. Emotions are going to run high in the legislature uh, once these, all this stuff gets rolling. Uh, it's a good thing it's only going to be lasting 30 days total. Why is it so nasty? What What's causing, is it just the tensions of the pandemic and the hurricane? Is it national election? Is that stuff trickling down? Is it just... No, no, I don't see the national nasty? election trickling down into Louisiana politics, thank goodness. We've got some good people all around the state and we all work together. Uh, I, I think there is definitely a division amongst parties on how this pandemic emergency should have or should be uh, dealt, you know, how it should be dealt with right now. Kind of what you're seeing across the country. Across the state, country. State to state, right. they're all having the same debate. It's, 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 it's straight down those lines, uh, you know, where the, you know, the two parties are on opposite sides. And I, I could go on and on, but it's, it's really that simple. Got you. You know. Well, we got some uh, relatively sad news yesterday about uh, former Governor Murphy J. Mike Foster. Uh, he has entered hospice care, and uh, when I was working in television news, I interviewed him a number of times. Great guy. Uh, what are your favorite memories of uh, Mike Foster there at the state capitol? Oh, well, he was always good to agriculture, but I got a, a, always good for the eight years that he was there, but... 
uh, Bud made, sent Sandy and me down to the Morgan High School City Gym to, uh, to, to, to Mike and Alice's announcement. They were announced that he was running for governor, and we got there. It was Mike and Alice, his wife, and a couple of staffers, and I think there were two couples from Morgan City. And so it was just us there, and I said, I can't believe Bud made us come down here for just this. And I'm thinking, this guy can't ever win, you know. <laughs> Boy, was I wrong. So I, I signed up at the table for four by eight signs, bumper stickers, you know, I'll make contributions, I'll make calls, whatever you need me to do. And they go, thank you so much, Mr. Bud Mapes. Uh, and so when I got back to town uh, the following week, Bud Mapes' front porch was filled up with four by eight signs and bumper stickers and yard signs and everything. So that's my favorite story about Mike Foster. That's how we started with him, uh, him and Bud and all of us getting together with agriculture and and, uh, you know, God bless my father's soul. He never knew I did that to him, but that was fun. <laughs> I had the pleasure of interviewing him just and a couple I'll of years you, ago. Oh, I'll tell you another quick story. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but Bud and Sandy and I are the ones that went to him with a piece of legislation when he was a senator and said, how would you like to author this bill? It would create a workers' comp corporation in Louisiana, which we do not now have because our, current, our former one was defunct at the time. And basically that catapulted him into running for and being governor. I'm not saying that elected him governor, but that was a huge issue with the business and industry community, uh, getting a workers' comp corporation in place. So those uh, are my two favorite stories of Mike Foster. Oh, well, that's that's great. And, you know, what, was, what I loved about talking to Mike Foster was he once said that everything he learned about politics, he learned in Farm Bureau because <laughs> he was involved in Farm Bureau before at the parish level. And uh, sugarcane farmer himself, uh, you know, it goes to show the important role that this organization can play in in state politics. That's pretty impressive. It I is. Know that. We wish Alice Foster and Mike Foster the very best. Our prayers, our thoughts yes. are with their families, and uh, we're so proud that they are members of the Farm Bureau family and are part of, a, of our history. And so on behalf of Andy Brown, who is not with us in the studio anymore, Carl Wiggers and Joe Mapes, thank you for tuning in for the Grassroots Government Podcast because... Because you know, folks, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. <laughs>